I'm worried about the fact that they know everything about me and because I like liberty and I hate the fact that they can come into our country and suppress liberty, that they're gonna make it hard for me to live. What does the word freedom mean to you? Only you can define it in your life and only you can decide to build the life of freedom and fulfillment you deserve. This is Freedom Mindset Radio. I'm your host, Kurt Mercadante, and we're grateful you're here. Hey everyone, this is Kurt Mercadante with the Freedom Media Network, as always, bringing you interviews with incredible individuals who are fighting for freedom, abundance, and prosperity. Today, we have a very special interview. Brigadier General Robert Spaulding, you with the Air Force for 26 years, Air Force former Senior Director of Strategic Planning to the President for the National Security Council, China Strategist for the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He's now a Senior Fellow here at the Hudson Institute and author of the incredible book and scary book, Stealth War, How China Took Over While America's Elite Slept. General Spaulding, thanks for joining us today. Great to be here, thank you. Going into the book, and at the beginning of the book, you talk about the, uh, obviously, things that are happening within China, within the borders of China and internationally, but you also hint at some of the things they're doing within our borders. I thought, well, that, you know, and it, we used to watch 24, you know, and it was like, right. and, and some of the things, it's, it's interesting that some of the things that are in there, you know, are in here happening on our soil. I mean, the reporter who was interviewing the Chinese businessman, and they put in a, they basically did an attack on the hotel in New York City to shut it down. Um, I mean, the numbers of uh, of attacks and uh, what are they what are they called? A denial of service attacks on U.S. companies here. As you've done media for the book online, have you experienced anything happening where something got shut down or you were doing a, a media interview? Oh yeah, I came, I came home one day and all my files were in the recycle bin, right? And so, you know, I, I put that laptop away and I haven't taken it out since. But I mean, there's other things, right? I, I get on Twitter and there's trolls that come on that come after me and you, you clearly know that they're trolls and, and they're working on behalf of the Chinese Communist Party. For me, it's it's educational because it allows me to point out, okay, here's one, here's here's a person, here's how they're um, essentially using propaganda to deflect attention from the repressive nature nature of the Chinese Communist Party. The problem is, since we don't actually understand propaganda or, or recognize it when we see it, because it's it's done so um, so well then it makes it very difficult for people to, to, to judge between what is true and what is false. Yeah. And, and, and there's a lot of things that have happened in our own society, and I, and I believe um, strongly put in place there by the, the Russians during the, the, the time when they were using active measures, and of course the Russians still do that today, that has kind of created this ability in our society to have um, what they what I call atomization. So they, the Russians do this um, this type of influence. It's really about creating internal conflict in societies, and they do it all over the world. And so they, it's very easy. And in atomization, what you want to do is is create you know the idea of a you know, a difference within your society. Like you and I are different, and, and because um, you're different, then you're somehow bad. That's that's really the Is power. that the heart of what they were doing in 2016? That's exactly what they were doing. And, um, and so when you think about what the Chinese do, it really works, it, it, it's symbiotic in a way, because, you know, when the Chinese Communist Party is brought into that mix, then they can use a lot of those same technologies. Like, yeah. oh, you're just being a racist. Well, it, that, and that stuff has already kind of been, you know, planted in there. And so, it isn't. It is. Um, 
in addition to the obfuscation that they already do. So it is, it is interesting that um, there's a lot of things that these regimes do that um, are complementary in, in a sense um, and, and actually have worked within our own society. I mean, you have to realize that because they're so plugged into our system where um, our government kind of has a hands-off approach to uh, media and, and the internet, Right. and they have a very hands-on approach, then it is a very, you know, ripe, you know, venue for them to come in and begin to ma manipulate it in ways that actually promote their own interests. Mm -hmm. The less you can have people focus on the Chinese Communist Party, the better it is for them because that aids in their obfuscation. And, and in the same way, you know, as I think about it from a from a conflict or confrontation standpoint, you know, as I was a B two pilot, that's you always want a, a great amount of noise out there, right? Mm -hmm. The more noise, the easier it is for you to hide underneath the noise because you know when there's more noise, those things come to light more easily. And so people tend to be focused on those. It's a whole idea about the dog and the squirrel, right? If you got the squirrel over here and you're kind of um, you know, going around here, then you're, you can you can uh, you can do a whole lot of things that are right out in the open, right in front of your face. Like like another example of this is I don't know if you've seen it before, where um, you do this exercise where these guys are passing a basketball. Yeah, and the gorilla. And there's a guy in a gorilla suit, and he right. comes and waves, and right. then you re you're trying to count the passes of the basketball, and you never see the guy yeah. that walks right in front and waves his hand in a gorilla suit. It's just so this is classic the way this thing works. The, the Russians are basically passing the basketball and the Chinese are going like this with the, with the gorilla suit. And, and when you, so what happened for me, like I never saw the gorilla right up until 2014, I'm sitting in my cubicle in the Pentagon and I open up this presentation and it's like, boom, I take the red pill and all of a sudden the gorilla's there and then I can't stop seeing it. And so really what this book's about is, you know, I want to give people that opportunity to see the gorilla, right? To really recognize it's there and then decide for themselves what the hell they need to do about it. It's, it's frightening when, and the statistics you put in here, military uses a lot of cell phones, components of which are made in China or made with rare earth metals that are controlled by the Chinese. Uh, was it an accelerant or a piece of the Hellfire missile uh, made in China? Parts of planes, I mean, they've, they have our plans for the F-35. Uh, we almost, or did we end up giving them the Westinghouse nuke plant? No, I know. we sold it to them. We sold it to them, okay. I think you I said fought it, the administration, the current administration signaled as of the right. No, it was, the it was the Obama out. administration. Okay. So, so the current administration basically said, uh, you know, we've got a problem here yeah. because exactly what happened. They begin to steal stuff that, that we don't want them to have. And we gave it right to them because of a 19, what, 50s, 60s treaty that said they're underdeveloped, we need to help them and, right. and do that. Um, so leading, all of that leading to 5G. So 5G is something, you know, you can't watch an NFL football game without seeing, hey, the NFL, now we have 5G, Verizon or whoever has 5G in all the stadiums, it's wonderful, it's great, it's wonderful, and, and there's a number of things you talk about that are gonna be great, you know, surgery and mining and those things. But China has been building 5G for a long time, uh, or, or at least for years, well, well before us, and they want to get involved in it. And you had the audacity to suggest that perhaps that's a danger 
and that it's a, a public-private partnership between the military overseeing a private telecom to ensure that the Chinese don't end up with the technology. Um, and some people didn't like that. Yeah, so, I mean, really what I did was bring in, I didn't know anything about 5G when I started this. So who do you go to if you don't know about something? You go to the people that are experts about it. So I didn't go to policy experts because, you know, that's what people tend to go to. I went to the engineers that actually built the network. So tell, tell me about the technology. What are the challenges we have with deploying it? And what are, the, what are the opportunities and the challenges with regard to it? And the more you get into it, the more you realize that, oh my God, not only have we taken a wrong perspective with regards to the policy, but we don't even understand the power of the technology. And so um, what I did was try to lay out, here's the opportunities, here's the challenges you know, for uh, policymakers in government. I mean, that's all I was doing. It was trying to, to, um, to say, hey, we've got some challenges here. Maybe we ought to think about what we should do. I did not, for, for the record, say, hey, we should nationalize the network. I, there was no, yeah. so that was, a, that was a narrative essentially put in place by the telco industry to prevent the government from actually, so, remember, so go back to the talk about racism and, and yeah. the Chinese Communist Party is, you know, oh, the government's, you know, trying to nationalize the network. Don't look over here at the fact that we've got poor policies and we're not even gonna build networks because the business model is broken. And oh, by the way, if we do, you ought to be really afraid because the way we use the technology can be abused no, we didn't talk about those things. We talked rather about the fact that the, that the Trump administration is trying to nationalize the network. And more importantly, it was my idea, so let's get rid of that guy. Now, for me, it was, I think, probably the best thing that could have happened because I recognized at that point that if this didn't get out and really become a, um, a real subject of conversation, then we were headed to a really, really bad place. And, um, and so... Now at least we're talking about it. Yeah. The, the challenge though, that in, in the way that we're talking about it and the policy suggestions that we're making, doesn't actually get to the main contention, which was not anything about 5G. It was about data and how data is used. And then what we should think about going forward in terms of how do we promote the republic that we love and the freedoms that we cherish. And it has nothing to do with 5G. It has everything to do with what we call in the national security strategy, the, the strategic resource of the 21st century, which is data. It's your life, right? It's essentially digitizing your life for the purpose of driving artificial intelligence to con you know, conceptually make your life better. It's just the fact that it it can also be used to control you in ways that you have no ability to discern. Now, you know, and I talk about and the whole point of the Second Amendment is to create in the citizenry the means to essentially fight back against a repressive government if our democracy fails, right? That's the whole idea. It's not about, it's not about you know, you know, giving the ability to, 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 to conduct shootings and all that stuff. Sure, right. It is really a backstop because the, the founding fathers didn't know if this thing was gonna work and, and they just got through fighting a revolution where that government wanted to take all that stuff yeah. away from them. Says so, no, we're going to give that to the with population their, their with their own gun, their own hunting, uh, their own firearms. So, 
Now you go into 2016 where you have the march on Trump Tower, and oh, and oh, by the way, it's the Russians using all these technologies and app services and business models that we've created to make your life better, to influence our own citizens, and you realize, oh my gosh, we're building a world where you don't know that you're being oppressed, or you don't know who's oppressing you, and then you think about, okay, in that context, the idea of the Second Amendment really doesn't make a whole lot of sense, because who are you going to shoot? the likelihood of you being influenced to shoot your neighbor is actually quite high because that's that's where the atomization comes in the, comes into play you know things like charlottesville all of these things that the russians are really good at doing right with the tools that we created ostensibly to make your life better or actually can be turned against you in a way that creates animosity and then and then strife and so how do, you, how do you protect that? Well, I just said that we can't collect data on you to understand what's going on. So the only conclusion I came to was that you had to secure the data and make it owned by the individual, right? So that was the key to digital freedom, is owning your own data, owning the, the fact that you own your own life and nobody can you know, hit, uh, you know, rewind and play what you're, and then watch what you're yeah. doing. Not our own government, not a foreign government, not a tech company, right? Unless you give people the opportunity because you you have sanctioned that right as an individual choice this is a whole point and and this is the power of 5g to basically either create for us all the wonders of technology or to create digital slavery which is essentially the road that we're headed down for for um was the concern specifically about data. And, and there was a, put China aside, right? There's a concern about data right. and owning our own data, right. whether it's Alexa, right. and there's been some things that have come out about right. NPR reports. Facebook. And, 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 and the data about somebody sitting there and watching it and laughing at somebody, right? Their pictures or, or whatever. Was, was an overarching concern that a private telco would be hacked or would partner with a Chinese company or both because as we've seen i guess it doesn't matter right they'll get yeah, it so i mean so the, so the point is with the data model today it doesn't matter yeah. it doesn't matter how you come to that now the interesting thing in in industry because of the way industry has evolved since the 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 development of the iphone and android the telcos, AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, and Sprint, spent all this money on networks and never got paid back for it. Now when they invest in extra capacity, it, the returns on that are, are declining, right? So the more money you invest, you actually get diminishing returns. So nobody wants to invest in that thing. So that's, I think, one of the things we have going in our favor because the deployment of 5G is actually gonna be quite slow in, dem in democracies where you don't have actually have the government, like in China, saying, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna deploy this for you, which is why we ought to be afraid about Huawei because the Chinese are more than willing to build that for you. Why are they more than willing to build that for you? They want the data. Mm -hmm. They want the data because Facebook, Amazon, and Google dominated the global economy because they had access to the data. They didn't pay the telcos, but the Chinese wanna make Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent dominant. Now, they can't in the current iteration, right? Because iOS and Android dominate the platform in the 4G world. The Chinese can't break into it. Huawei without Android is not gonna have any market share. But they figure, hey, if we build 5G, because you combined compute and networking, so you have the platform now is the network, and all the app services and business models are built on the network, not the smartphone, because the smartphone goes away, 
right? The city watches you. Yeah. You wave a hand, taxi shows up. You say Uber, something does facial recognition, reads your lips, and boom, Uber that's shows up. That's literally what's going to happen That's what. That's what was already there in 2017 when I'm the defense attache in Beijing. I get there, I get a smartphone, I start putting all the apps on, WeChat, Tencent, all the things, and I start walking around like, I can order food. I put my phone away, I walk in the restaurant, camera sees my face, does facial recognition, they hand me my food, call me by name. I'm like, this is really awesome. Wow. This is really terrible, right? How do, you, how do you reconcile the fact that now a totalitarian regime has, knows everything about you? And what they do with that in Beijing, if you break the law, if you commit a crime, they just rewind the tapes and go right to your house. So they'll say, okay, yep, this is where this happened, and they went this way and go and nab them. And so, they, for instance, they, the, the BBC reporter where they let them loose in the city, in nine minutes they had them. I had people working for me, one person in particular, rode a Mobike. Now, a Mobike is a, a bike that uh, started in Beijing and actually got came to D.C., which I was kind of upset to see. Yeah. But you could scan a QR code on the bike. It would unlock. You get on it. You ride it somewhere. There, you don't have to park it in any specific spot. You just park it anywhere. Lock the bike back up, and they charge you like one renminbi, which is really cheap to, to ride the bike around. So somebody that was working for me left their iPad in the bike, in, in the basket of the bike. And they go back to the embassy and they realize, oh, I forgot my iPad. So they go to the regional security office and they say, I forgot my iPad. They call up the police department. And the police department calls a person that has an iPad on their cell phone and says, can you bring that back to the embassy? Like that. Right. So this is what. So when you talk to, um, and, and I remember back in 2017, I was talking to the intelligence community. It's like, do we understand what's going on here? And the and, and the belief in the intelligence community is there's so much data. There's petabytes of data out there about you. Um, there, it's too much to go through. Right. It's too much for us. And I said, well, actually, that's what Facebook, Amazon, and Google have been building, the capacity to actually turn that data into information about your intentions to sell you things. And that's what the Chinese Communist Party has. And so, yes, they can have all that data and they can actually turn it into influence. They can turn it into intelligence. They can figure out, oh, this, 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 this person's rising really fast in the State Department. Let's get close to them as they rise, because by the time they come, become a senior official, then we'll have somebody that's a good interlocutor. These are the types of things that the Chinese Communist Party is adapting the tools that we built to make your life better in the West, and is building to make you a slave in the East, but is being deployed through these economic and financial relationships and trade relationships of globalization and the internet. It's so interesting, because earlier today, I did an interview with a top digital ad guy here, political. And we talked about the good and the bad and what's what, what do people understand or not understand about data-driven advertising, which is, you know, you can apply that to people. He talked about people who went door to door years ago. Um, behaviorally though, the ability to segment, I mean, you see Netflix right now, right? They'll pay Adam Sandler $200 million. Now, they know the movies are gonna be crap. Now, I like the Adam Sandler movies. But I like Adam they're Sandler. They're crap movies, you know? <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes, 10%, doesn't matter, because you don't- Waterboy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. You don't have to put it in a movie theater, have critics attack it, right. and then you, it bombs, right? right? Yeah. So Netflix says, we know behaviorally all the Adam Sandler fans on our platform. So we're gonna deliver them the previews of Sandler, and it's the most watched movies yet. And so they keep throwing him money, they do that with other people. <clears throat> 
What you're saying is when you also add in facial recognition, when you add in all the other behavioral data, the equivalent of, all right, I'm being influenced to watch an Adam Sandler movie without my, without even knowing it, right? Because you're in Netflix, you're watching Netflix in the house next to me. Right. You're seeing different previews, maybe to some documentary somewhere, right? I don't know, you know. And so I guess where I'm going with this is a lot of people will say, well, what do I have to hide? Why do I care if the Chinese have my face? Or uh, on Facebook, this was last year, remember what it was, mm-hmm. the aging the aging app? And it came out, well, it's in St. Petersburg, it was a country, and, and they do it. But the, well, what do I have to hide? Why do I care if Putin has my face? Right. Is this exactly why we should worry? Because they can influence well, you to do- you Okay, know. so look at Roy Jones, who I talk about in the book, right? right? Yeah. Mid-level employee of a Marriott Corporation. What does it, what do the Chinese care about him? Well, probably nothing until Roy Jones likes a tweet about Tibet, and then all of a sudden, Roy Jones is actually comes into the uh, to the crosshairs of the Chinese Communist Party. Boom! Today, today they can get Marriott to fire him, which they do just because he liked just a tweet. because he yeah. liked a tweet. Now, in the future, when they have all the data about everybody, you get on and you start following these different people that are actually, um, you know, they are really you know, dissidents of China, right? So you start listening to what they say and, and they notice that you're following them. And all of a sudden, you know, because everything is curated, just to your point about Netflix, is curated for you, yeah. it becomes curated in a way that actually begins to slow you down, right? Mm. Right, and I, I call it Six Sigma fascism because it's really uh-huh. about suppressing the outliers in the society, using the automation that's built in to the Silicon Valley technology and business models. It's brilliant, it is, it is really effective, and we've seen how effective it's been from a business standpoint. What we haven't realized, because we don't have that context, is that you can turn that around and say, I, can, I know everything about you. I know your personality, I know your desires, I also know what you need, and I can make those things either come to you easier because you're, you're a good guy or you know, harder because you're a bad guy. Just recently, Secretary Pompeo went to the governor's conference and he said, look, the Chinese Communist Party rated each and every, all 50 governors. Are you a good guy, are you a bad guy, or are you neutral? And they started building their campaign for influence for each state around whether you're a good guy or bad guy or neutral. This is what they do. And so if we know that, why would you, who basically grew up in, in, as a free person in a free society, want to give purchase to an entity that is willing to do that at their discretion without having you have any you know, ability to say yes or no? Not only that, but these, you know, these authorities you gave to your federal government <laughs> to provide for the common defense, to promote the general welfare, because they're basically checked out. They don't know what's going on in Silicon Valley. Right. They're not willing to stand up for you because, quite frankly, they would rather buy F-35s and carrier battle groups and, and tanks and submarines and say, well, we've got that covered. Well, great. I'm not worried about the Chinese sending Marines into my house. I'm worried about the fact that they know everything about me. And because I like liberty and I hate the fact that they can come into our country and suppress liberty, that they're gonna make it hard for me to live or make it hard for my kids to live or make it hard for my grandkids to live. That's not the society I wanna live in. I don't think it's a society when Americans start to really think about it that they wanna live in either. 